we're doing this. Well, I guess we're doing this. It's been a while. Uh, yeah. A little over a year since we last had an episode. It's been a little over a year since we finished the dishes in time to do an episode. <laughs> and, yeah, put the baby to bed. And that, well, there's a new thing. We have a baby now. Didn't a year ago. Yeah. Um, been in school. Moved. You're working. Lots of things going on. Well, I was working before, thankfully. Y- yes. I'm still working now. Thankfully. You are not one of the... Many people currently unemployed right now in the pandemic. That's happened. A pandemic. That's happened. That's a big one. That's a huge one because that's not just affecting us, our state, our nation. It's the whole world. That's like a, it's going to be a reference year for everyone. I do. I feel sorry for our child that every time he says his date of birth, people are going to be like, whoa, yeah, that was a bad year. Like, who wants to be that, you know, like... 9-11, 9-11, right? We don't say all of 2001 was a bad year. We just think about 9-11. So I always felt bad for my patients who had birthdays on 9-11. Mm. I, I'm thinking of one person in particular. Mm. You know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> Good friend. She's probably going to listen to this podcast as well. Um, but, you know, we don't, like, the whole year we don't say, oh, bad year, right? No, that's 2020. 2020 is a bad year. I wonder if we'll remember the random news stories that infiltrated COVID briefly. Like, do you remember killer wasps? Oh, yeah. What happened? What happened with the killer wasps? There Are they that, still killing? Yeah, there just weren't that many of them. It's not really a problem. Okay. Or, uh, okay. Well, and then the other big one, of course, is like the, the Black Lives Matter protests. Well, that's still going on. That's a big one. Oregon. Still going on. Portland's blowing up. Um, that's not over. What about seeds? Random seeds showing up at people's houses. Maybe you haven't even heard of that I, You mentioned that to me, and I didn't even have enough interest to say, you know, Alexa, tell me the story about the seeds. So is it is it even worth mentioning right now? No, it's like random melon seeds from China. And hmm. the FDA is telling people not to plant them. And they've identified <laughs> several of them. And they're mostly garden variety mm, vegetables. I feel like I could come up with a conspiracy theory about all of those seeds. I have several. You do. On that one in particular. Mm. Well, that's actually what I wanted to talk about tonight was, is conspiracy theories. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you just noticed that they seem to be everywhere? Have I noticed that they seem to be everywhere? Um, yes and no. I don't see a lot of them. I don't know. I mean, when I, I'm talking about like on your social media... I don't really go on much social media. You know, I got off, too, for the same reason, because I was getting tired of it. So now I have to hear them from other people, mainly. Okay. You know, where I find out how they exist is, oh, have you seen this thing? And then I get the thing, and then I have to research the thing. And and I'm, I, I, I mean, I appreciate people telling me about, like, and asking me, hey, what are your thoughts on this? I, I, I actually really like that, because then, uh-huh. because, cause then I can engage with it, versus if it's just something I see on like you know scrolling through a page on social media i can't engage with it like i don't even bother giving my opinion on it when it's like anonymous people liking this post or ranting against this post like who cares right my voice doesn't matter to people who don't know me but if it's someone who engages with me that i know and love especially then i want to know what they think about it and then it's a talking point so in that way like the conspiracy theories are very entertaining at times yeah, I think you get frustrated with them, too, a lot. I do, and I that's why I decided to remove the Facebook app from my phone, which has been a great digital well-being move. I'm hmm. not addicted to my phone. I still touch my phone probably 100 times a day, like the average American, but I'm... I'm disentangling myself from all of the likes and the notifica- push notifications and... Uh, who's following me? I don't care who's following me. I'm not following anybody. Not even you. Not even you, husband. Not following you anymore. I yeah, mean, I maybe get notifications I... about you. You never have about me. No. <laughs> 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 so, well, you hardly post anything, anyways. I'm. Anyways, it's if been... I did, you wouldn't know. Yeah, probably. That's <laughs> true. Good point. Touche. Um, do you feel like Christians are more prone to believing in conspiracy theories, or? Is that maybe just because we are in Christian circles? Because we're, there have been polls that showed that Republicans and Democrats were equally 
prone to conspiracy theories. They're just different kinds of theories that go on. Like they, well, basically hmm. the proxy for this was they did a survey where they gave, they asked Democrats and they asked Republicans, if this, if the person that you're voting for in the next election didn't win, how likely are you to believe that it was because of voter fraud? And they are pretty equal in their response. That like, yeah, if my candidate didn't win, it's probably because of voter fraud. So it's kind of a proxy for conspiracy okay. theory. But I'm like, well, but voter fraud is also a real thing. That I is don't a know. Real thing. Maybe not to the extent that everyone believes it is. It's like, is it a problem? Yes. How much of a, a problem is it? That's a whole different debate. I don't have the answer off the top of my head for that. But yeah. is it enough to completely turn over an election? I don't think so, but depends but anyways that's just my point my point is that like okay. it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum our people are equally prone yes. it's just maybe what kinds of theories but i i, I wonder so... sometimes again this could just be because of the circles that i'm in it seems like there's a lot of conspiracy theories on in in like the church people my friends in church and christianity yeah. in general have you noticed that uh i can't say that i have so maybe this is a question of circles as a, you know, I guess I'm, I'm hearing you talk about mostly about Facebook. Maybe, maybe you can tell me a little bit about some of the conspiracies you're seeing. Well, actually, I don't want to get into the specifics of every single one. Oh, okay. I think it would be a better discussion to talk and maybe more edifying if we ask ourselves the questions of why do we believe in them? And then how can we be able to tell them apart from the truth? Because I, I believe that with every conspiracy theory, there is some truth in it. You know, like there's some amount of this makes sense or there's this shred of evidence and then you can take it and run with it however far you want. And so then it's hard to go back if you don't have any familiarity with the subject and be able to tell apart fact from fiction. Okay. Okay. So I think... And I'm going to say that I have definitely been prone to believing in several conspiracy theories. Mm. Andrew has made fun of me throughout me our it. marriage. I know. I, I took your thunder away yeah. by confessing it. Um, <laughs> so this has been for, for me. If this topic is like I'm just as guilty as everyone else. I'm not trying to throw anyone under the bus. Okay, but what's the weirdest one you believed in? I'm, Since it's out there. No, I'm not going to go there right now. Because I still... I still no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Come on, even just no. a little bit? Just no. one. No. I'm not saying all of them. No. But maybe just one. Okay, I got one. I got one. All right. Thanks. And it's, I'm going to share this one because it is relevant. So I was looking up the Plandemic video. I actually never watched the video, but I heard about it. Okay. Um, which is basically the idea that this pandemic was planned and it's, you know, basically just very political and it's all, and I'm not saying that political actions are not being taken, but that like the inception of it was by design, you know, and let's bring economic ruin at a very, you know, conspicuous year of an election, a very controversial figure in office. And my part with that is like, it's the whole world, right? Like the whole world has this issue. It's not just the U.S. So, but anyways, one of the figures that is, you know, really prominent in it is this lady named Dr. Judy uh, Mikovits. And I'm probably mispronouncing her name. I apologize. Um, but I was like, huh, I saw a picture of her and I was like, she looks familiar. Where do I know her from? Mm. Well, then I started backtracking and I was like, I think I saw something about like, she's anti-vaccine. And I was like, I think I saw her in a video a few years ago. And I don't know if you remember me talking to you about her, but she was in this uh, docu-series called The Truth About Vaccines. Mm. And I, I check, I really do check everything out, like, because I don't believe I should just tell people, oh, that's all rubbish, unless I've examined it for myself. And like I said, there is always, you know, some ounce of truth in it. You just got to filter through it, which is a difficult task. I, I get that. So I actually had watched the series called The Truth About Vaccines, which has been um, given a lot of negative reviews um, from the mainstream medical community. And if you're a quote unquote anti-vaxxer, then, you know, you love this series because okay. it's 
telling you how you shouldn't vaccinate and there's all these problems with vaccinations. Again, I'm not going to get into all of that because I think there is some truth to the things that they're saying. And I think there's also some fiction in that series. But Judy Mikovits was in that series. Hmm. And I remembered watching her thinking, oh, that poor woman. And um, I didn't have enough time. Why, why owe that poor woman? I'm going to get there. Oh. So I didn't have enough time to research her life, what she was saying, and fact check her then. But I had some time now. Um, especially because now I'm like, oh, great. Now here she is with the pandemic. I need to research this lady. So she had claimed back when I had watched this thing, it was like three or four years ago now, that um, she had discovered this um, basically mouse-related virus that she was studying and how it was getting into vaccines and it was getting into all these monoclonal antibody drugs and she said there was this huge conspiracy hatched by um, basically, you know, the department that Anthony Fauci, Dr. Fauci is a part of, uh, and that her research was suppressed. And instead of being forthcoming with the knowledge that they were causing um, these viruses to infiltrate people via vaccines and via monoclonal antibody drugs, um, that and these monoclonal antibody drugs are drugs often used with the immune system to suppress certain autoimmune diseases. Uh, so she was claiming like that they were saying, oh, we're not going to let that knowledge get out because we wouldn't want to claim um, any guilt for that. So we're just going to basically kick you out of your work. She had worked at the Nancer- National Cancer Institute for over 20 years. They kicked her out and then they uh, put her in jail. And she said, quote unquote, I did nothing wrong. Like, I don't know what I was accused of. And then they forced her into bankruptcy so that she would lose her economic voice, she says. Um, and I was, like, watching that video, like, man, this sounds awful. What has gone on with this poor woman? Mm. Well, okay. So this was a conspiracy theory I, I was starting to believe uh, about four years ago. Uh, and then I researched more. Okay. There were charges specifically filed against her. She was not held, you know, in prison without a, you know, trial, without a jury. She was convicted of criminal charges for stealing things from the National Cancer Institute. Um, Not only, like, did she take things out of it that she should never have taken, certain data and things, uh, 10 other studies tried to replicate her work. None of them were able to replicate it. All of them were like, this doesn't make any sense. We're not seeing these viral vectors. Uh, specifically, she said she was seeing it in patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, mm. which is one of those catch-all things like fibromyalgia that we don't really understand with the body. Mm-hmm. So we were looking at, um, so the scientists, I'm sorry, were, were looking at how can we reproduce her data. They were trying to investigate it. They couldn't find it. Instead, they said, let's go back to look at your data, and which she initially refused, but when they finally got it, they got her samples, like the biological mm. samples she was using, mm. and they found bacterial plasmids. Now, those are like the taxicab services of the microbial world. And so what they believe she did was like fraudulently implant the virus into these tissues via a bacterial plasmid. Mm. So um, like that she she was making it look like the gene studies were there when they weren't. Yeah. And as a result, that's why they fired her. Right? Like okay. she falsified okay. data. Yeah. Uh, she was trying to, you know, I understand there's a lot of pressure on scientists. I don't know what was going on in her life. Maybe she was in a crunch and she was getting pressured to produce results. Who knows? Right? She did enjoy the limelight for a while. Apparently, she received like recognition, and that's why everyone was trying to replicate her data, you know? Mm. But then it was like, okay, you messed up. You're out of here. Right? Mm. But that part wasn't revealed in the docu-series I was watching. That part's not getting up there with Plandemic. Okay. Um, and then she went on to say other things that I was reading that, like, didn't even make sense. I won't get into that all right now. But in terms of, like, her claims about how... And masks are a very controversial thing right now, too. So she said, like, things about masks that just, like, biologically didn't even make sense. So, um, like, just reinfecting yourself as you're breathing, like, your own, you know, CO2 that is toxic to you. So, um, if if that's the case, then, you know, how has every surgeon not just completely collapsed of 
poisonless lungs from wearing surgical masks all day. Sure. Um, okay. Anyways, so, okay, I confessed it. I had, you know, a few years ago started to feel bad for this woman and been really concerned about the monoclonal antibody drugs and about vaccines and wondering if there were certain mouse-related viruses that they weren't telling us that were getting into our drugs. Um, and the, the truth is that really most of our vaccines and drugs are not all cultured out of mouse cell lines. Many of them are out of like chicken egg embryos and, and certain monkey cell lines. The, mm. in, particularly the uh, RNA viruses are predominantly cultured out of a monkey cell line that was started in Japan. Um, and so like it's not just mouse, you know, so she was focusing all on mouse and it just, this doesn't even add up. So all right. That, that's one. So, that's one so thing that I'm believe, gonna you believed, throw out you there. You believe Judy's story. I did about herself I and did. about the production of various pharmaceuticals, mm -hmm. and instead, it turned out that Judy herself was dishonest. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a uh, this is when I was thinking about. You, you told me okay. I want to talk a little bit about. Like conspiracy theories. I thought about what does it mean to be a critical thinker? Yeah. When you're evaluating things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So one might say simply because she was convicted of a crime, that doesn't mean that she's wrong. However, I you're agree also with saying, that statement. I you're agree also with saying that, that she was proven wrong in addition to that. Yes. And that's really where we get into, I think, like the meat of right. what it is. To critically right. evaluate so, that evidence. Right, so the conspiracy theory is like, oh, she was convicted of wrong, but it was the government who was doing this against her. And I totally agree. Just because someone has a criminal charge against them or a civil charge against them or has had a journal article retracted even, like, that does not mean that I should stop completely listening to them. Their voice may still be valuable um, and they may be falsely accused. And, and you absolutely do need to parse through that. And you can't do that, like, when you're just passively receiving information on social media. And, I mean, I thankfully didn't go out professing to people, like, I think you were the only person I talked to when I, I heard her story. And I was like, man, I'm, if what she said is true, I'm concerned about some of these, mm -hmm. you know, drugs. And um, I actually didn't know the end of that story. Yeah, you know what? I got lazy and I forgot to follow up on it because life happened. And that, that happens to all of us. Life happens. And yeah. then you don't dig into it. But here's where I think the only thing I did right, I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> right? Like I didn't start like sharing it on my Facebook page. Yeah, I didn't start telling my patients, don't go to the rheumatologist. They might give you a monoclonal antibody that could inject you with this virus that could give you chronic fatigue syndrome. Like okay. I, I just... I let it stew and I put it on the back burner and I knew one of these days I was going to figure it out. I didn't know it would take me like three to four years later when I saw this lady's name pop back up on another kind of obscure thing yeah. that I was like, okay, a lot of the things she's saying in Plandemic, which again, I, I confess, I did not watch the video. I read excerpts from the video. Mm -hmm. I find that reading text is a much better way for me to evaluate the information because then I'm not hearing like the mood, the music in the that's playing the mood up or down in the background. Mm, you and, find your emotions kind yeah. of influence your judgment. Oh, absolutely! My emotions get manipulated based off of like the pictures they're showing and the music. I'm very, very prone to being manipulated by music, by tone of voice. Sometimes people tone of voice, I just flat up won't like them. Like, or yeah. I would really, really like them, even if I disagree with what they're saying, just because of how they look in the tone of their voice. Mm. So I try to find excerpts as a more objective way to sometimes evaluate information. So, so my point is that, you know, if you're not sure and it seems controversial and you haven't really put in the time to dig into it, just be quiet. You know, like there's no need to like it and share it with all of your Facebook friends, right? Like that could be propagating a lie. Maybe you are propagating your truth, the truth and it, you could be a freedom fighter, so to speak. But like, if you haven't dedicated the time to investigate it, that's not your fight then. 
you know, we all got to choose the hills that we want to die your, on. Uh, what's your threshold for investigation, though? Right? Oh, yeah. Like... Right? Because I can find can naysayers I... and I can find positives. I can find people who agree on both sides. If I find one person... If I find two people that agree and one person that disagrees, have mm -hmm. I met the standard of evidence? Does it take 10 I mean, studies? I mean, it depends who those people are, too, right? <laughs> like, just because people agree with you, but, like, if they have no background in the subject matter, then oh, but this how much weight should I put on them? This lady was a doctor. This... Right. She's got fancy credentials behind her name. She's right. got a PhD. So, so you, you know, you think, well, I should believe her. Uh, but That's right. Then... She would be a person that you would say, oh, you should be able to trust what she says. Right. And you have to think, like, okay, well, why... Okay, why would these other people want to discredit her? You know, so then you would think, well, I don't want to listen to the people, and if she's attacking pharma or the FDA, then I don't want to listen to those people because they're just covering for them. You also have to remember, she has like some skin in the game too, right? Like she's not unbiased for sure. Mm. Uh, so I always try to find like what's a more objective third party source? Somebody who has no skin in the game. Um, somebody whose paycheck is not going to fluctuate based off of their opinion on this matter. Mm -hmm. uh, or and even not just their paycheck, but their reputation even. Um, you know, because if their reputation could be slighted, if they agree with them, then you're, you're like, are, is their information being suppressed and vice versa? So I, I try to, like, find that voice of objectivity. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. It's hard. I agree. I agree that it's hard. Um, and there's certainly a lot of things that even with my own medical background, I feel my limitations and understanding. And so I can, I can appreciate how difficult that would be if you don't have a medical background to sift through, filter through the information. Um, and so I appreciate it. I really do. Not that by, I, not that I'm an expert by any means, um, but I appreciate it at least that when I have people say like, Hey, what do you think about this? And I'm fine with saying like, I don't know, this is where I'm at on the issue right now. Mm -hmm. And that you mentioned objectivity. I think for myself, I don't find that anyone is truly objective. I think that for yeah. the most part, people are looking to confirm their preconceived notions. Mm. And if they believe one thing, they're going to tend to look for evidence to support it. If they believe another thing, they're looking for evidence to support whatever that thing is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And one of the tricky things here is how to maintain open minds and change our minds when it's reasonable, but also to avoid changing our minds when it doesn't make sense. And so that's the mm -hmm. piece we're talking about, which is like, when does it make sense? to believe some of these claims. Mm. And I think I think what I find when I look at some of these conspiracy theories is that it's sort of like a spider web. It's sort of like connections between things are made mm. and they go out quickly. They mm. aren't they aren't dwelled on very long. Mm. And you might find like her connection to someone else in the organization who had a connection to a senator mm -hmm. and the, the strength of those connections aren't evaluated. The other people surrounding that aren't evaluated. Her direct like peers aren't necessarily evaluated. And it just quickly branches off from one person to another to another. And they use an inductive logic mm. to thereby say... What, how do you describe an inductive logic? An induct, inductive reasoning would be reasoning that takes an assumption to make okay. is one way to look at okay. it. Okay. Mm -hmm. So all, all sort of strict forms of logic take assumptions. Um, but inductive reasoning, I think I would need to look up the specific, but it's um, going from maybe from fact one and fact two to fact three or something. I'm not sure. We'll have to, we'll have to phone a friend. Okay. On the, on the specifics. Um, but deductive or reductive reasoning is, uh, is a narrower form. And that's um, something that is a little more reliable.
Hmm. Now we use inductive reasoning all the time, and um, I'm using this term obviously not having an exact definition of what it is, but um, we make assumptions all the time is what I'm trying to say, and mm -hmm. we need to make assumptions all the time. We can't evaluate everything. I was thinking about this before too, like how often do I have a thought and evaluate what the thought means or whether or not I should act on it. Like for example, I have a thought, I wanna make tacos for lunch. How often do I evaluate whether or not that's a good idea? <laughs> a lot of times I have to, cause I have to check for the ingredients but many other and thoughts. Half the time we don't have it. And half the time we don't have it. <laughs> Our pantry is woefully inadequate at many times. <laughs> we need to have a professional grocery shopper. But I digress. <laughs> this is the essence of critical thinking, actually, is what I'm talking about. Which is, do I evaluate my thoughts? <clears throat> when I read an article and I think, oh, wow, that article was great. Do I then say, wait, let me check the veracity of that article and mm. how great I truly think it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I see a video on Facebook or when I watch Plandemic, do I go and check into things or are my thoughts just that? They just they thoughts. They're never evaluated. But I think, I think that's one definition of critical thinking that I would use, which is I evaluate my thoughts when they happen. And so that's something that's pretty, um, it's pretty important, it's pretty relevant for this sort of conspiracy theory conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a, it's a tough thing. I would say maybe 10% max per day of thoughts that I can evaluate. Yeah. The vast majority, you know, I don't think so I do anything. You have so many bandwidth, so much bandwidth. It takes a lot of energy. It does. Our brain just... It takes a lot of calories. And that's why we have to remember, though, this is part of our calling as Christians. Like, we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So we're supposed to be using our minds daily, um, not just in our worship, um, but when we love God and love our neighbor, um, that manifests in, our, in so many daily decisions. I mean, that's why we named this um, podcast, Healthy Berean Living, because we're modeling it after the Bereans in Acts 17, who Paul commended because they didn't just take his word for it. Like he came in with all these crazy stories. Oh, I saw Jesus in a great light and I was blind and now I see. And like, literally he said he was blind, but like, they didn't know that. They were just like, do we take his word for it? I don't know. But you know what I do know? I know that there are these scriptures with prophecies and he's relating to them and he's mentioning them and he's trying to connect the dots for us. So I'm not just going to take his word for it. I'm going to go home, look at the scriptures and examine them for myself. And they were commended by Paul for doing that, for not just taking as his word. In Philippians 4, we're reminded that we should be meditating on the things that are true, honest, just, pure, lovely things that are of good report, things that are virtuous, things that are praiseworthy. These are the things we're supposed to think on. And, you know, many times I don't think social media accomplishes that for me, which is why I've been distancing. I've been social distancing myself from social media lately <laughs> <laughs> because I, I find that I, I'm not filling it with true, noble, pure, virtuous things most of the time when I'm scrolling through those pages. Mm. I think it's a poor form in general for uh, truly airing out, we'll call them logical conclusions or sort of valid life philosophies even, if you will. Um, and that's not, it's not, it's not its intent. Text is a great, is a great logic tool. It's, it's not laden with emotion unless you fill it with emojis, <laughs> but even still, uh, and, and I think emojis have their place. We'll talk about that another time. But even still, text is a is one of the great human methods mm. of conveying conveying strictly ideas. Um, but reading, let's just put it this way: reading is hard. I mean, how much can you really read? And then do you evaluate what you, what you read? Back to that critical thinking aspect. 
am I evaluating what I read? Mm. And um, I think uh, a lot of what really gets people going is um, is these videos in particular, mm. and even and even some of the videos or some of the photos. Uh, a lot of a lot of times, not a lot of times, occasionally even that stuff is doctored and is made to be false. And uh, that's a dangerous one too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and I don't want to give the impression that you have to have a medical degree of any kind to be able to make judgments on these things. I, I'm not saying that whatsoever. Um, I'm just admitting that even with my background, it can be challenging, so I can only imagine for those you know, without that training. Uh, but I, I'm thinking, um, in the next segment, let's take a pause and I would like to go into what are some ways that we can think about, uh, um, material and evaluate it uh, with a clinician's kind of eye. So anyone, even if they don't have a medical background can use this common sense approach and it would be helpful for evaluating claims that they hear in the future. Sure. Okay. Let's do that next. Okay, Andrew, are you ready to go to medical school? You're, you're nodding your head no. You need to tell the listeners what you're doing. <laughs> There's a reason I didn't sign up for medical school. Yeah. Yeah, I don't blame you. But I will give you a tuition-free lesson. I mean, it doesn't matter because you're already paying for my tuition anyway. So I feel like I is owe this, really, this to you. Yeah, is this really tuition-free? <laughs> well, it's tuition-free to all the listeners because they're not paying oh. for my tuition like you are. That's true. Um, I'm going to give you a lesson on how we can think about things in terms of causality and not just correlation. And Ooh. is there a certain criteria you should use when trying to investigate, like, this actually caused by something or did they just both happen to show up at the same time Ooh. right there could be lots of things that coincide together at the same time but they're not caused causative that's right i have a great example of this. what's that the gas mileage of a prius the distance from the earth to the moon okay you can create a formula that can relate these two things to each other such that you might think that if the earth moved further away from the moon or vice versa then the prius must be getting better mileage really yes. Are you making that about? well no they're numbers and you can manipulate the numbers oh, okay ways. okay in like statistics can be very manipulated oh, that's true mm -hmm. yes were you trying to convince me of like a conspiracy theory there? This is a poor example. Yeah, it's a very poor example. I was thinking more like the example of, um, you know, ice cream sales Ooh. in the summer months. But what's another, what'd be like another uh, <laughs> swimsuits, you know, swimsuits, sales, and ice cream sales. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, they both go up in the summer. Maybe, so that would be correlation, but yeah. you would never say causation like, oh, uh, when I wear a swimsuit, I want to eat ice cream. In fact, the opposite. No woman wants to look like a fatty eating a big thing of ice cream when she's in a swimsuit. Mm. Or maybe that's just me revealing my insecurities to the world Apparently. right now. What about umbrellas? <laughs> so they would be correlated, not causative. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that's a good one. So have you heard of Sir Arthur Bradford Hill? Sir Arthur Bradford Hill? Yes. Have you heard of him? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, he was a very important epidemiologist who, along with Sir Richard Dahl, uh, they were the dudes who basically proved that smoking causes lung cancer. Now, you can see oh. how there could be lots of people saying smoking does not cause lung cancer. It, everyone's smoking, right? Like at that time, right? Yeah. This, is, this is, you know, in the 50s and 60s, everyone was smoking. So it's like, well, of course, people get lung cancer because they're getting old, right? This person didn't smoke and they got lung cancer, probably because it was passive secondhand smoking. And there are uh, several individuals, unfortunately, who can completely avoid smoking and passive smoke and still get lung cancer. They're very odd, aggressive forms of lung cancer, but that does happen. 
But the predominant, you know, COPD and then lung cancer progress, smoking is a huge risk factor. We know that now, right? It's just a given. Like, nobody questions that. Hmm. Have you ever met anybody who questioned You that questioned that. I never questioned that. Are what? you sure? Yeah. Maybe you just don't remember. <laughs> so, so, so what they had to do, though, right? There are all these big tobacco, or I'm sorry, <clears throat> tobacco. I can't, you know. <laughs> that would that would really hurt my hair. Forgot your Kentucky accent. Yeah, I have to make sure I bring that southern part out for that one word. Uh, you know, all these tobacco companies that, of course, we're not going to allow them to say there was causation. So how are they going to definitively prove it? Put the nail in the coffin. Right. And so he had some suggestions of how you can look at an association and consider it as not just correlation but actually as causation. Okay. And and so I want to run through this criteria because I feel like it's useful for everyone, whether you're in the medical field or not. When you hear a claim and you're wondering about how to investigate it, you can run it through these questions and you can save this podcast, go back and listen to it. And probably actually what would be better is if you just Google Bradford Hill criteria and they'll do a much better explanation than I'm sure I will in, in the ensuing criteria. minutes. Yeah. Okay. So first thing, strength. How big is the association, right? So there's things that get thrown around in medical journal articles like um, hazard risk ratio, odds ratio, um, and if there's, you know, the higher the odds ratio, the like the more likelihood, you're six times, we'll go back to lung cancer, you're, um, yeah, 60 times more likely to die of lung cancer if you've smoked, you know, like two packs a day since you were 15 years old and now you're age 65 than someone like me who's never smoked or been exposed to, you know, um, smoke products in my life. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that would be strength of association. If I only said you're like 1.12 times more likely to develop lung cancer than me, that doesn't seem like a very strong association. So I might tend to put less. Um, so this is the magnitude. Belief. This is the yeah, magnitude says, of the yeah, effect. Yeah, magnitude of the effect. Consistency. Is it seen in other studies? So that's going back to what I was talking about with, you know, Dr. Judy Mikovits is they couldn't reproduce their studies. And that's a huge problem in medicine. A lot of times you get one study out and people run after it oh, if I eat like chocolate ice cream every night, then it's going to help me burn yes. brown fat. I don't know, something this ridiculous like that. This is the perennial like coffee study that comes out oh, once a year. Oh, but we always appreciate There's those coffee study on studies. Coffee. It's good for you. It's Do you bad know when I was you. in it's PA? It's good for you. It's bad for you. When I was in PA school. Well, let me finish. Oh. I eat every morning. I eat an egg in my coffee just <laughs> because I know eggs are probably bad for me or good for me too. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I remember when I was in PA school, every time I heard a coffee statistic, like you said, whether it was good, whether it was bad, I would like send it to a friend of mine who worked at Starbucks. And so I wish I had the tally of like the whole list of things mm. I, I would have said. There was, it was such this extensive list, you know, <laughs> I felt like overall there were more pros to coffee than cons. Anyways side tangent so so yeah <laughs> you get a study out right and it makes a bold claim but can you reproduce it is it consistent okay so we got strength we got consistency specificity is the association of exposure and outcome specific um or is it related to like multiple different outcomes hmm. okay so is it a catch-all yeah and also you know that that causes can be multifactorial that does make things more complex right like so got to keep that in the back of your mind. Um, but specific multifactorial. If it's multifactorial, you should be specific about each thing yes. that's happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Temporality. Uh, does the exposure always precede the outcome? If it doesn't, you got a problem there. Mm. If I'm getting lung cancer before I'm smoking... Uh, I don't know. What do you think? Is it is the smoking causing the lung cancer? Again, you might be that really, really, really rare person who never smokes and then fortunately gets um, small cell lung cancer, you know, but uh, it's rare. So I'm going to go back. That has a different cause. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Right. Mm hmm. Right. So. So then you'd have to go back and say, OK, well, you got lung cancer, but what kind of lung cancer did That's you right. get? You know, so I'm going to go to the example of the controversial 
alert, the meat markets in China. Mm. Okay? So I think the reason we've been able to establish that the virus did not start in the meat market is because they found patients, who, like original patient zero and then patient maybe like one through 12, some of those did not enter the meat market, mm. but they had the illness prior to the outbreak in Wuhan. So they think the meat market was the amplifier of the disease, but not where the inception was. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, there does the exposure precede the outcome. In that case, the exposure would have been the meat market. The outcome would have been getting COVID-19. Mm. And so if you had the outcome, COVID-19, before the exposure, the meat market, that proves the meat market was not, you know, the, the, cause. the cause of it. Yeah. Mm. Again, I think there we can get into a whole different argument about, like, what role did the meat markets play? I think there is a role that they played. Uh, but I don't think they were the cause of it, so to speak. Right. You know, there's still a lot of research being done on what was the cause of it. Um, and right. that's a whole other conversation as well. We're also wading into a lot of other theories. About oh, yeah. There's a lot of conspiracy theories around that, too. We can go down that road later. Um, but again, I think my point on this is I want people to just think critically about it. You know, and maybe you'll believe one of the theories that's circulating. And that's okay if you've done your research on it. You know, I'm not here to tell people what to think. Um, yeah. Dose response, or also known as a biological gradient, um, it's kind of kind of like the strength argument. Is more exposure associated with more outcome? Oh, so okay. if I give you more and more um, cigarettes, are you more and more likely to develop lung cancer down the road? Right. So there's a dose exposure response there. Plausibility is the association biologically plausible. So when I mentioned that comment earlier that was said, oh, if you wear your mask, you're reinfecting yourself with the virus, like that biologically does not even make sense. Like, mm. if okay, like let's say you have the virus, you, like that's assuming I'm breathing it out and now I'm breathing it back in because I'm wearing a mask, so I've reinfected myself. That's not how the immune system works. Right, your body is going to fight the infection at a cellular level, and so if you have gone through that and got gone through the native um, innate response, and now you're at the adaptive immune response, and your T cells and your B cells have gotten the big guns out and they've fought the virus off, um, wearing the mask is not going to like reinfect you, um, especially in like the seconds in between your breathing, right? Mm. So like that's just not even biologically plausible. Coherence: Is there evidence from the basic sciences? to support it. Uh, uh, it's kind of self-explanatory. That sounds similar to the previous one. I found that there was a lot of overlap too. Yeah. With plausibility and coherence. So maybe like, what would be the differences? Like, between logic, plausibility and coherence? I would say coherence, you could go so far as to say, not just do I think it's bi biologically plausible is like, maybe I haven't seen this thing before, but, uh, does it does it like just fit the common sense test or versus coherence i think would be like is there some other analogous model in the sciences that could fit this um because when i hear coherence I think, I think of like arguments that are coherent they don't disagree with each other yeah other arguments yep that I think, are in the same vein yeah mm -hmm. so like if i'm saying that this i can't reinfect myself because and then you produced uh, a set of other um, reasons that yes. were related to mm -hmm. um, why reinfection wouldn't occur, mm -hmm. and like mm -hmm. and the, the the claim was was plausible and it was coherent with the other surrounding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. evidence. Uh, and that goes right into the next one, which is experiment which is what we all want to see with these randomized controlled trials mm. of different drugs treating COVID-19 and vaccines. Can the relationship be demonstrated by an experiment, specifically in humans, right? Because mm. you can get things in a cellular level called in vitro. So in vitro tests, you think test tubes, like, yes, it looks like uh, in this cell line um, with these generated antibodies, it's fighting COVID. 
but what we need are in vivo studies in life human life form studies to really prove when the rubber meets the road yes this is working Hmm. um so that's the strongest support for causation is if you can do specifically what's known as a randomized controlled trial and notice the central word in there control that is unfortunately what is missing i think from a lot of just hashed out research lately in the pandemic and again i am by no means i'm not quoting myself here as a public health expert i'm just a common citizen who's been kind of getting fed up with the things i'm seeing where there's not a a lot of really well done studies that are always including controls and again i recognize that if people are dying you're going to try what you can right and say like we're going to make this decision now and do our best to save these people's lives it's not like uh we have time to spare but we won't know the strength and the validity of these results without a control like maybe like the patients in this one particular hospital where they were administering a certain drug did better and they um, had didn't have to go on the ventilator or they were on the ventilator less days they got out of the icu quicker they survived and you could say that was because of the drug they were administering but if you don't have a control where you have people who came in the same you know time frame in the same hospital you might have really just measured how good the hospital is and how good the doctors are If the control patients who didn't get the drug were also doing much, faring much better compared to patients at another hospital where resources were low, um, then you might have just been measuring the effect of really good clinicians and good support in that hospital's ICU. That's right. Um, The controlling confounding factors. Yes. And and I obviously that that is happening. I'm not trying to cast a shadow and saying, oh, nobody's doing that. what I see where there's not a control is not like things that are actually in published journals so much as things that come on like just the news feed. What I see come on my Alexa, some things that I see come in my inbox from various news sources, mm. um, you know, which is why I appreciate things like if you are reading, I know this is a conservative one, the Wall Street Journal or the Atlantic or even Washington Post or even New York Times, like you got the whole gamut of conservative to liberal there. There you're going to have articles that are going more in depth and explaining a little more uh, versus some of these really catchy, quick news stories. When I start to look into it, like, oh, this person um, didn't transfer the virus because they were wearing, you know, by wearing the mask, they didn't transfer the virus, these hairstylists, to all of their customers. I'm like, well, that's great. But was there a control? Mm, Like, would they have transferred the virus anyways? And, uh, you know, a lot of medical editors need to be filtering these things out. And this isn't just me. I've been listening to other epidemiologists who are, uh, you know, saying, hey, we need to take this pandemic seriously. And he is pro-mask, but he's still thinking that a lot of the evidence being cited by people saying, oh, if you wear a mask, it's just going to drive this you know, virus into the ground. He's like, we don't have the evidence for that. It will risk mitigate. It will reduce transmission, but it's not going to completely eliminate it. It's not going to make the pandemic over. If that was the case, then Hong Kong, where they have a severe fine, if you're not wearing your mask at all times, they're still seeing new cases. So uh, you need, you need not just observational studies. You need that controlled trial that's your strongest component of being able to say, like, this isn't just correlation, it's causation. Yeah, I think that control piece is needed. I think there's a place for those stories, too. I think that motivates people to take a deeper look mm-hmm. and to say, well, okay, I saw this study or I saw this case where this hairstylist salon had no transmission. Um, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Was there something special there? Mm-hmm. And if I take a look that way, and I'm curious um, to be looking for uh, plausible, coherent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. pieces of evidence there, and I do my own randomized control trial on that, that's that's a, a good place for those things. Yeah, yeah. There but, could be truth in what they said, but you right. just can't, like, yeah, put the, the nail in the coffin the on The problem is yet. generalizing from that example too quickly. Yeah, yeah. And then the icing on the cake is analogy, the last part of the Bradford Hill criteria. 
are there similar associations in the literature for comparison? Hmm. Um, I think that kind of goes back to the consistency with, is it seen in other studies? Um, so you got this nice criteria that you can refer to and think through when you're trying to critically evaluate something, whether that's a medical claim, um, whether, I don't know, what, what, what other things would you use this for that you, I mean, this is designed for medical criteria, but I feel like you can use it to critically evaluate many different issues of causality. In general, I think this is applicable in the sciences mm -hmm. and more so in the hard sciences. Um, I would say medical science is getting towards the fringe of being on occasion more of a social science as you're looking at ep epidemiology mm -hmm. in particular, mm -hmm. talking about people's movements. But I would say this is more applicable in the hard, hard sciences, these criteria. Um, when you start getting out into things like there's conspiracy theories about legal cases or um, acts of the U.S. government uh, or maybe like a, a buzzword is like the deep state, right? These are conspiracy theories more related to lack of information or mm. lack of insight. And these criteria maybe aren't as useful there. I'm not sure. Maybe some of them are. Uh, coherence, plausibility, um, but uh, strength of association, maybe. Timeliness, sure. Uh, maybe, maybe they are a little more broadly generalizable, but you're not going to have an R value. You're not going to have an odds ratio mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that's coming out of those sorts of situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I recently looked at a Twitter account. Um, I don't even have Twitter. Well, I think I do, but I, I created it, but I never use it. <laughs> but I, I found um, an account where it was a repository of all of the, the Russian social media accounts that were created on Twitter. All of these um, memes and images that were just basically designed to spread division in our society. And I, I heard, you know, about the investigation into the 2016 election and mm. Russian interference. And I know that Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg and other social media um, big time owners and gurus were called to the carpet in front of the senators and investigated. And I, I knew about that, that, but I actually never took the time until just recently to follow, like to look up and say, well, what actually like was being spread in some of these ads? Um, and it really shocked me because it was everything. It wasn't just anti-Hillary, although the, most of it was. Um, there was also a lot of like maybe uh, things that were you would consider pro-liberal and pro-conservative. Mm. Like they were mm. just it was mm. uh, it was pro-BLM. It was pro like Blue Lives Matter and as well as Black Lives Matter and and like but yet also like those posts were saying things against one another, uh, one another's movements. Mm. Um, it was, you know, even there were some things against uh, Sanders. There was even a few things against Trump, too. So it wasn't all, like, overwhelmingly it was positive pro-Trump, but there were some very negative ones, too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just was scrolling through these images, and I was like, why? Why are they all over the place? And it's like, because the goal was to just get us to believe whatever thing we see, like it, share it, and then start to create these echo chambers in our own social media accounts, whereby we offend enough people, they'll unfollow us, and they'll maybe even unfriend us, and then the only people who are now I'm engaging with are the people who are seeing the same things I am, liking the same things. It was just furthering division within our sure. American society. Sure. Um, you're getting it. That couple. is not a conspiracy theory. Yeah. That actually <laughs> happened. That I, I, that That's was actually that was measurable. It was proven. There was a, a, a congressional hearing and investigation on it, um, and well, yet both both those things, the interference and the divisions increasing, both were measured and are for real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, now the how much of that, like you can you say like that's what controlled the 2016 election? Here, Trump, I, like, I got it right here. I don't think you can. The magnitude, this is an article on 538 by Nate Silver. Okay. Uh, Nate Silver is a, a relatively well-known statistician. 
this is the quote magnitude of the interference Wait. revealed so far what, what happened okay there we go I thought we lost connection night mode magnitude of the interference revealed so far is not trivial but is still fairly modest as compared with the operations of the Clinton and Trump campaigns so I would say it's effective. It was effective with the money it had, but in terms of the amount of money that they could spend on it to really um, bombard, so to speak, us, uh, it's less than the campaigns themselves. Right. I mean, and, political you know, campaigns and, themselves and, are just and monster. And certainly it was well run. Monstrously um, but I think, expensive. I think the they're operating on a psychological... At least you mentioned one thing that... that makes me think of a psychological bias which is exposure simple exposure if you see me more times you will begin to have positive feelings about me even if our right. interactions are completely neutral right um if i see enough pictures of hillary um i don't know what uh and like some text about how her emails or something mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i see that enough times i i begin to think it's true mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah so well, and that I mean, some of that was true. That's that's the confusing part, mm -hmm. right? But mm -hmm. but you're talking about like an emotional valence, you know, that we start to get this emotional negativity or positivity towards a subject matter even before we've really know what the subject is truly about. Mm -hmm. um, so that and that's what I'm. This whole episode, I'm just imploring my my Christian friends and family that. We're to be lights in this world, and we're to make sure that our speech is edifying and, um, you know, seasoned with salt, so to speak, um, and that that salt is a picture of the gospel and how it can create a, a preserving and wholesome effect in this world wherever we go. And I feel like the past few months, we have not been marked by that as much as we are called to. Um so yeah that's what i wanted to talk about tonight mm, that's great i'm glad we had a chance to talk about it yeah we should do this more often it's been a long time since we've done a, a podcast time. episode yeah, um if you want to hit us up on with any other suggestions of topics we can do for fun um feel free to ask i'm thinking one of these days i should do like a whole pregnancy podcast just like health things that you know Mm. might be helpful to learn in pregnancy mm, yeah. um any other ideas would be appreciated uh, i'm gonna start my next semester up um as i'm now in medical school so that's gonna take up some time but yeah we'll just you know stay tuned speaking of pregnancy you take that test yet stop stop that stop everyone thanks for listening to another episode and if you want to send us a suggestion maybe you want something a little more lighthearted next time feel free to leave us a message on the anchor app you can find our podcast and we'll play your voicemail if you want or you can find us on facebook or our gmail healthy and living at gmail.com and we'll be happy to take any suggestions that way also i want to go back and hit a couple concepts we addressed in the podcast we didn't quite word it as accurately as we should have i apologize for that so just to clear up any misconceptions about inductive and deductive reasoning with inductive reasoning you start from some specific observations and then you move out to broader generalizations versus deductive reason reasoning you start with more of a hypothesis generalization and then you work down whittle your way down to a specific case to then prove that specific case is true so think about it like going from broad and then if you're deducting like you're subtracting going from broad to specific versus inductive you're going from something uh, you know specific and working backwards towards a generalization also, when I was covering the Bradford Hill criteria and we got to coherence, I didn't quite clarify how that is different from maybe the biological plausibility. So I looked into that further and really it's more about seeing how does 
laboratory or experimental evidence substantiate the epidemiological evidence. That's a lot of fancy terms right there. What do I mean? Okay, so coherence. Is there uh, agreement between what you're finding in the lab uh, and what you're seeing in like just human population, common day uh, observations? That's also we could call maybe epidemiological data. So if you have that coherence between the lab and uh, the epidemiology, then you can say, hey, there's even more support for this. But just because you don't have those lab studies yet doesn't mean that it um, completely nullifies your epidemiological claim. So I think that's even more relevant because a lot of the things we're talking about with the pandemic specifically, we are making, or maybe public health experts rather, are making uh, recommendations. And because it's such a novel coronavirus, we don't have all of that nailed down quite in the lab to substantiate it. And that's still coming out as we go a long time. And some of that information is coming out and then we have to update our prior knowledge on it. So don't take my word for any of this. Feel free to look it up for yourselves. But I just wanted to make sure I wasn't adding any confusion to the picture for you. Thanks for listening to our ramblings and we hope to hear from you soon. Bye.